Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When we think about the Passover, we need to think about four distinct steps in the Passover lamb. The first step was when Moses told Israel in Exodus chapter 12, it's all in chapter 12 of Exodus, but in verse 3 of chapter 12, Exodus 3, uh, 12, 3, Moses said this, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month you shall take to them every man a lamb. That was that part. Take every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So this first step was like the culling or the cutting out of the herd, the one lamb is the culling step. The first step is really the selection. That's the first step. It's the selection of the Passover lamb. You know, for 10 years, my family and I lived on a goat ranch. So it was quite a change, you know, coming from Beverly Hills and Bel Air to a goat ranch. But, you know, that's what happened. So we had 300 goats living all around us, very close to us, sometimes a little closer than we wanted, but that was the way it was set up. You could open the bedroom door, you could throw a rock at any of them, but anyway, there were 300 goats all around us and 50 sheep. And I remember what it was like to sit there and lean on a fence and look at the herd and a herd of animals and to cull an animal out of the herd. And fortunately, I had three boys who did all the work, so I was the big boss, you know. And so I would say to the boys, where's that one over there? See that one there? That's the one. See it? Get that one. That's a selection. That's a selection. In Exodus 12:3, when Moses, when it was said, take them every man a lamb, that was the selection step. That was the family going out to the herd, looking over the herd and saying, which one, let's see now, which one's gonna be our family Passover lamb? Oh, there it is, right there, there it is. See it, see it, there it is, right there. That's gonna be the Passover lamb. That's gonna save our family. That's gonna save our home from the death of the firstborn. So you can be sure that the firstborn was out there saying, make sure you do this right. And the family said, that one there, see it, that one there, that's the one, that's gonna be the Passover lamb for our family. That's the important first step, the selection of the Passover lamb. This selection of the Passover lamb, all this, you know, that one there, see it, that one there, that lamb there is gonna be a Passover lamb. That's exactly what has happened previously to the Lord when a representative for the family of man looked over the herd of humanity and as he looked it over there and he saw the Lord Jesus, he said, there he is, that one there, that's him, that's him. See him, he's gonna be our Passover lamb. That's John the Baptist. That was John the Baptist who was the representative of the family of man. And when he said in John 1, essentially what happened, he said the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's John the Baptist. When he said that, behold the Lamb of God, he's saying, there he is, that one there, that's him. See him? He's going to be our 
family of man, Passover lamb, which is going to take away the sin of the world. So that was the first step, the step of selection. Now the second step is told by Moses in Exodus 12.5, Exodus 12.5 through 6, Exodus 12.5, where it says, your lamb shall be without blemish. That's an important part. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it under the 14th day of the same month. So after the selection of the lamb, then there were the three days when the lamb was so closely watched, and they watched that lamb for three days, and they wanted, because this is the step, the second step is a step of confirmation. Confirmation. Confirmation of what? Confirmation that the lamb didn't have any blemish. So they're watching this lamb, and they're making sure they don't see any blemish there. And if they did see a blemish, then they got to say, okay, we can't have a family lamb. We've got to go join another family, which was allowed. We've got to go join another family and get under that family for the lamb. That's what they had to do. But they were watching carefully in this second step, and this is the step of qualification. Qualification, I said confirmation. It's really a step of either one. Qualification, where the lamb was qualified to have no blemish, and then it could be the Passover lamb. So this was the job of the whole family. The whole family was to look it over, and then you can imagine the father turning to each person in the family and saying, okay, which one of you saw a blemish in this lamb? Anybody see a blemish in the lamb? Okay, which one of you convinceth this lamb of blemish? Okay, and that was a very important step. That was the second step that happened in order for that lamb to be qualified to die. That's what was happening in verse 46. They didn't know. But when he said, which of you convinceth me of sin? That was the second step of qualification for the Passover lamb. When the Lord Jesus, in essence, was asking the family of man, albeit his enemies, and he had not three days, but three years, which they had to look him over every aspect of his life. They were looking constantly. And now was the time when it was the qualification step. And so he says, which one of you have seen any blemish of any sin in my life? Do I pass the second step of qualification? That's what he's asking. And we can move on. And no one said a word. No one said a word in chapter 8. No one said a word, which means he passed the second step of qualification of the Passover lamb. Then the third step was the killing in verse 6, Exodus 12, verse 6, Exodus 12, 6, when it says, And the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. Every family kills their lamb. And as a third step, the killing. And then, and that, of course, parallels with when the Lord was crucified in Matthew 27, 35, Matthew 27, 35, and they crucified him. And Matthew 27, 50, Matthew 27, 50, and Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So that was the killing of the Passover lamb. That was the third step, the killing. But there is a fourth step. There is a fourth and final step, and that was in Exodus 12, 7. Exodus 12, 7, when it wasn't enough just to select the lamb, just to qualify the lamb, just to kill the lamb. You had to apply the blood. You had to apply the blood on the two sides of the doorposts and over the top. You struck it. You struck it. The blood is quite some scene. Blood dripping. Very bloody thing. Blood dripping on the sides of the door and over the top. That was the fourth step. That's application. And that, it's not enough that the Passover lamb was selected and killed and qualified and so forth like that. There has to be personal application of the blood to the house. And in the same way, it's not enough that the Lord Jesus died as the Passover lamb. Oh, I know he died. No, no, no. Blood has to be personally applied where each person 
personally applies his blood. Personally, what does that mean? Relies personally on his blood. And you know what the, what the real um, question is, if you want to find out if someone has done that or not? Just ask the question, what are you relying on to get to heaven? What are you relying on to get to heaven? If you ask the family, what are you relying on that the angel of death is not going to kill the firstborn? They said, well, you know, we're all good people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, you failed, you know. What are you relying on? You go to the firstborn. What is your family relying on that you should not be killed? Oh, you want to go outside and see the blood? It's probably still dripping. He said, we put the blood. We're relying on the blood. Because God said the famous thing, words in Exodus 12, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, relying on the blood. What is your reliance? What are you relying on that you're going to go to heaven? There's only one answer, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. So that's the personal application, and that's what's all encompassed in the word receiving, receiving him in John 1.12. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he the authority, the power, the authority to become the sons of God, which were born of not of blood and so forth. So no one is ever saved without a personal reliance, application reliance on the blood of God on the blood of God. Remember last week we talked about that God loved the church and he purchased it with his own blood, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And no one's ever saved without relying on the blood of God. That's who the Lord was on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he was when he died. And so there has to be this reliance. So this, anyways, there's all this dramatic and intense encounter that's happening with his enemies in chapter eight there. And he, but he passes, he passes it and go on. But the accusations continue. In John 8, 48, they then say, well, didn't you say that if a person keeps your saying that you'll never taste of death? You know, they're starting to understand what he said. They're getting the message. He's offering to save them from hell. And then they go on and they said, they answered the Jews and said unto them, say not we will that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil. Oh, boy. So now when he says thou art a Samaritan, the old accusation, you're not Jewish. You're not Jewish. It's amazing how the Orthodox groups in Israel, they, you know, they, some of them dress this way, some of them dress that way. The ones who dress this way say to the ones who dress that way, you're not Jewish. The other ones say, you're not Jewish. You know, so it's all there. So there's this accusation going on here. You're not Jewish. You're a Samaritan, which obviously is an accusation of who his mother, they're saying, was immoral with. You know, it's just very disturbing. And then to top it off, they say, you have a devil. Oh, boy. Now we know thou hast the devil. See, these are very personally dishonoring accusations there. This is all part of the as in verse 1 there. And so, but it really heats up. It really heats up because he knows as he's speaking to them, what's on his mind is that he knows they want to kill him. And he repeats this in verse 37. You seek to kill me. And then he says it again in verse 40. Now you seek to kill me. So he's looking at these, how would you feel if you were talking to people who are pointing a gun at you with their finger on the trigger, okay, and they're just looking for the reason to pull the trigger? That's what it was. And he knew this so well. And this is part of what the ads in verse 1 there, and they're just looking to find a reason. And they're searching around, and they're trying this, they're trying that, you know. And finally, when they get onto the subject of Abraham, ah, oh, they found their reason. They found their reason. And when they said, in verse 57, and then the Jews said unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? It's his response. It's his response where unquestionably 
He claimed to be the eternal God, the I am, when he said in verse 58, oh, Jesus said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, boy. When they heard that, they heard the claim of God. They, and then they found the reasons. And so verse 59, is it says, they took up stones to cast at him. Then they tried to kill him. And this is all part of the as in verse one there, chapter nine. And so then he just narrowly escapes from the temple by hiding himself in the crowd. He sort of slips in, blends in, you know, and in verse 59, then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. So he's just made it out of the temple by the skin of his teeth and by hiding himself in the crowd. He just made it out. I mean, if you were in that position, you just narrowly escaped being stoned to death, what would you do? You know, this is all part of the as of verse one. You'd say, I gotta get out of here. This is a little bit too much. You know, I'm pretty shattered by this whole conversation. I'm pretty disturbed by all these episodes then, and I just gotta get away and recover from the drama of all of this. Yes, normally what a person would do is say, I'm in no condition to minister to anybody, so I'm in a condition to get ministered to, you know? And this is what happened, but this is not the Lord. This is not the Lord. And this is so what's marvelous about this word as, because clearly, the Lord, when he sees this other person, he's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of this man in need. And so following this word as Jesus passed by, he saw in verse one, it shows us that he has this unshaken devotion to his mission and nothing's gonna stop him. Nothing's gonna stop him. You know, the Lord's devotion, it reminds me of, um, of uh, Gene Sasser. I like sometimes to go and to read the uh, accounts of the man who got the Medal of Honor you know, it's very, very interesting. And one that I really gravitated toward was Gene Sasser. He was a soldier in Vietnam. And on January 10th, 1968, January 10th, 1968, his company was attacked by North Vietnamese. And instantly in this attack was an open field. 30 of his comrades, 30 of his fellow soldiers there, they fell on the field. They were either dead or wounded. And Gene, what he did was he ran across an open rice paddy, and he ran to a wounded soldier, and he helped that man to safety, picked him up and helped him. And while he was carrying the man to safety, his left shoulder was hit by flying shrapnel. So he falls down, he's hit, he falls down, his left arm is totally incapacitated, he can't use it, and he's lying down there and he thinks, oh, now what? I got a left arm that's not working, and I got a wounded man here, and he says to himself, I still got the right arm, I still got the right arm. So with his right arm, he drags this man to safety. And then he gets into safety, and he refuses medical treatment himself, and instead he jumps back onto the field, and he sees another wounded soldier about 100 meters away, and just as he's approaching that soldier, he gets hit two times in his thigh and his leg, and both of his legs become incapacitated. Again, he goes down. He has no legs, he can't use his legs. Can't use his legs, can't use his left arm. So there he's lying in the mud of the rice paddy, and again, he's thinking, well, I don't have a left arm. I don't have two legs. I still got a right arm. And so with his right arm, he drags himself through the mud and gets over to this fallen man and treats this fallen man. He treats the fallen man. It's amazing what he, what he did. He's wounded in his arm, his legs. He's faint from the loss of blood. And all he's thinking about is helping his fellow soldiers. That's why he got the Medal of Honor. Well, this is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is him. The Lord Jesus, he gets heaven's medal of honor because he's like Gene Sasser. He risked his life for others. And when it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man, Jesus was not thinking that his murderers had already got the stones in their hands. And where is he? Where is he? Let's go find him. And he says, no, I got to take care of this person. So instead, he stops while he's running away from his enemies to treat this man, this blind man. And, and it wasn't only that time. It was when the Lord was mortally wounded in his body. He's dying on a cross. And like Gene Sasser, he's thinking, I don't have any legs because they're nailed to a cross. I don't have any arms because they're nailed to a cross, but I still have a voice. I still have a voice. And so while he's dying, with his remaining voice, he helps a thief on the cross. He says, with his voice, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's our Lord. That's the Lord. He's pulling himself. It's like he's pulling himself through the mud of a rice paddy to reach a fallen man. And then he gets the Medal of Honor, the Lord does, as we've seen before, when in Revelation 5, when 10,000s times 10,000s, and all of them say with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's his Medal of Honor. Now, by the way, Gene Sasser is interesting. Gene Sasser was a black man. And those soldiers, I don't know about those soldiers, if they were prejudiced against black and they refused treatment, they would die because he was their only hope. And by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ had just been accused of having a demon, of being illegitimate, of being a, from a Samaritan. And if that blind man said, oh no, not you, <laughs> no, not you, then okay, then he would remain blind. Okay, so the word in verse one, saw, it tells us that when the Lord Jesus was being actively pursued by his enemies, he stops and he sees this blind man. It's got this unshaken devotion his devotion, you really can sum up his life with certain verses. Like John, in this chapter, in verse 4, John 9, 4, when he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work, to complete his mission of saving the lost, that was the must of his life. And then in John 4, 34, when Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work, to complete the mission of saving the lost, that was the food of his life. And then when he said in John 5, John 5, 19, Jesus answered, said unto them, Verily, verily, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, soever he doeth, the Son also, likewise. That was the Father's work that was the restriction of his life. He restricted his life to that. And then when he said in Luke, his famous mission statement, Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Seeking to save the lost was the focus of his life. That's his life. And when he finishes his whole life, his work in John 17.4, and he's giving his final report to the Father. The final report. He was sent. He's giving a report. He says to the Father in John 17.4, I have finished the work. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It's just his ability to be able to report to the Father he'd finished the work. That's the goal. That was the goal of his life. So when the Lord Jesus saw this man, he, know that, he said, that's part of the Father's mission. I've got to stop. And his eyes are constantly on the need for the lost. It's a big challenge for us. It's a challenge for us because we've got to ask ourselves the question, do we really have an eye peeled for the lost like he did? And so he, in John 9, John chapter 9, it's all about a blind man. And the Lord sees the blind man. And really, when we see this, it's so often that we can become blind ourselves 
to the lost. We can't see them. How does that happen? How do we get blind to the lost? I mean, I ask myself the question, how is it that I don't see people who are lost? Well, the Bible tells there are some ways that you become blind to seeing the lost. The first one, the Bible says, and it calls it entanglement, entanglement. In 2 Timothy 2.4, 2 Timothy 2.4, it describes entanglement. It says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life with the affairs of this life. See, no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. What a, it's when the affairs of life become so overwhelming, become so, oh, you know, then we become blind to our mission to reach the lost. We become entangled with the affairs of the world when we love the world. We love the world when we say, it's not bad, you know, um, especially San Diego. I love San Diego. Any of that, loving the world, that's what Demas did in 2 Timothy 4.10, 2 Timothy 4.10, where Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Having loved this present world. It's so easy. So easy. Become entangled with affairs. It also, become entangled with the affairs of this world is when a person wants to become rich. Wants to become rich. You know, it's like driving down the freeway and watching the numbers change on the lottery. How many million they have in there now? See, where's the 7-Eleven? Yeah, okay. It's that want to become rich. And Paul warned about this in 1 Timothy 6, 9. 1 Timothy 6, 9. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil which while some having coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow, these are quite something, you know. Foolish, many, foolish, hurtful lusts, many sorrows, destruction, perdition. That's why he says at the end of that passage there in 1 Timothy 6, 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Run, <laughs> run for your life, run. And that temptation comes in so subtly. Oh, it's so much like, well, you know, uh, if you get a lot of money, then you can give more money to the Lord's work. You know, so, you know, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the man who wanted to try to find out, I wonder how much of my money God wants. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll throw it up to heaven, and whatever falls down, that's what he wants me to keep. So, <laughs> you know, so be, to become entangled with the world is to become what the Bible calls a rocky ground Christian. It's described by the Lord in the parable of the sower and the seed. When he describes in Luke 8, 14, Luke 8, 14, the seed is that which fell among thorns, which are they which when they have heard, go forth and are choked. Man, what a word. Choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit perfection. See, the cares of this life is an occupation with the must get done's. Oh, I must get done. You ever done that? You ever sit down to read your Bible and say, oh, I gotta do this, what am I? Okay, I'll be right back, Lord, don't go away. And you go and you do this, right? <laughs> you ever have that? Am I the only one? And so <clears throat> that's being choked with the cares of this life. And then riches, he says, it's a very interesting extra description on this choked with the riches, because I read to you from Luke 8, 14, but Matthew 13, 22 has a little interesting word about the riches when he says, he that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this word and the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word and becometh unfruitful. 
See, that's very important. The deceitfulness of riches. Riches are called deceitful because they lie. They lie. Riches talk and they say, I can satisfy you. That's a lie. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.